Leviticus 23. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Say this with me. These are my feasts. This is God speaking to the children of Israel through Moses, and he's giving them the feast, one of them that we just celebrated. He's giving, instituting, he's giving them for the first time. What does he say? Speak to the children of Israel. These are holy convocations, holy moments, holy celebrations, which you are to keep as a nation. And he says, these are what? My, say it again. These are my feasts. And so the appointed time that we are in now, and God has given, I don't want, that's, that's not the focus of this morning, but the, the, appoint, the seasons that we're in are designed by God. As a Jewish ministry, as a messianic ministry, even for us, even more so for us, it's important for us to understand it's not just cultural, it's not just Jewish identity, it's not just a personal identification with a way of life that's, you know, de- prescribed or given to a nation. It goes way beyond Israel and the Jewish people. It belongs to God. So the season that we're in, you may not be part of a Messianic community where you come from. So I want to encourage you that these rhythms of life that we have in scriptures that were given to the Jewish people and the new covenant believers walked in as well. They are from God because they are his appointed times. I'm married with Sarah and I've been married. will be 16 years now. We live together all the time, you know, day in, day out, 24-7 throughout the year, 16 years. But I need to have appointed times with her. That's not just being normal and living everyday life is not going to cut it. If she says, honey, I'd really love to go for a date. I'm like, a date? If my response is a date, we are together all the time. I'm, I sleep with you all the time. We live together all the time. We travel. We do everything together. She said, that's not going to cut it. I'll be sleeping on the couch <laughs> together. <laughs> you know, it's important for me to have an appointed time with her that we are, have set apart in life. We're living together, but in the midst of living together, I have a appointed time. That refreshes and encourages us. So it's a natural thing. We call it going on a date, right? But that's a normal thing for us to give value to something that's important in the midst of normal life. In the same way, God has given us rhythms of life through these feasts in the Bible, and we're in the midst of one of them celebrating Pesach this week, as you don't eat leaven and all those things, you're entering into what God said, these are mine. Will you meet with me during that time? And so for me, every time we go through a a certain season or a certain feast or moment in scriptures, I pay attention to it and I immerse myself in the story of that season. Whatever way I can have a date with God in that season, I immerse my thoughts, my, immerse my reading, the passages of that story. You know, we recite, that's in, on Pesach, we recite the story, right? The whole celebration is the ceremony, what Remy did, you know, at the, at the hotel, was reading the story, retelling the story of Pesach and Passover. This year, pa- Passover and, and, and um, Easter coincided, and I'm, I'm reading the story, story of Israel to my children, And in my personal meditation, I'm reading 
the, 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 uh, the Gospels leading up to crucifixion and resurrection. For a year and a half now, Luke 24, the story of resurrection has been my main chapter of meditation. So I want to encourage you in this season, get into, immerse yourself into the story of Passover. Not just from, from the story of the children of Israel, but also the journey of Jesus. Because there's revelations for you in this season because it's an appointed time. Whatever happens between Sarah and I, when we have our date, that strengthens us, encourages us. We're not saying anything profound to each other. You know, I'm not giving her a diamond ring every time when we have dinner together. We're just having dinner and talking about stuff. But something in that exchange encourages us. Why? Because it's an appointed time. Do you get it? If you give value to the appointed times of God, it's an amazing opportunity for you to come into the revelation that's different from other times. So say with me, appointed time. This is an appointed time. I'm in an appointed time. Thank you, Lord. Because we're in this season, I want to speak out of uh, the life of Yeshua. Because this has been my thought pattern and my, my, my meditation for the last month and a half leading up to it. I've been reading about uh, the stories leading up to the Last Supper. And Jesus, Yeshua's conversation with his disciples. And wanting to get, what, do you, what were you feeling? This is how I study Jesus. I not only read what he's saying, but what were you feeling? What was, what's the nature of Yeshua that he said what he said? You know, and my study of scriptures is not methodical. It's not, I have a reading plan. I, I tried a reading plan. It didn't work for me because I get lost in thought. I read one or two verses and my mind just takes over and I, I'm thinking about what I just read and thinking, thinking. I just stay there for months, sometimes years. And at any given time, I have maybe four or five passages, maybe one verse or three or four verses that I have been meditating on for two or three years. So the dream, uh, going back to my dreams class, in 2003, I had the dreams class with Charles' wife. And I had a dream 10 years before that in, when I was in college. And it was a short dream, and I had interpreted that dream. My friend helped me interpret it. I had responded to that dream in 1994, nine years. And I thought it was a short dream, not many, you know, symbols in the dream. I had interpreted that dream. I had got every meaning out of that dream. And I had responded to God out of that dream. Nine and a half, almost ten years later, I'm sitting in this class with Anne. She's talking about dreams. And she said, does anyone have a dream? And I'm thinking about the dream, the only dream I remember before that from ten years ago. I'm thinking about this. And while she's teaching it, Something about the dream comes alive in me that I've never seen before. A short dream. Only like four or five different symbols, things in the dream, people and things in the dream. All of a sudden, ten years later, I've already responded. I already, you know, obeyed God through the dream. And my life was actually changed direction because of that dream. And I didn't know anything about dreams at that time. But ten years later, I'm sitting in this class and I'm thinking about this dream again. And something 
It's like God opened my eyes to see something that I hadn't. It was there all along. It was one of the, one of the a person, her name is Sophia, and she, I grew up with her. And it represented something to me before. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this class, and the Lord speaks to me, find out the name of Sophia. And I was like, Sophia means wisdom. And it just began to speak. And the word wisdom came to Sarah and I many, many times in that, in that time. So when you meditate on the things of God, maybe it's a familiar passage, a passage you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, you know what I mean? Don't let anything become just so casual in scriptures. I know, I know this. You should study scriptures every time with this idea that I don't know anything. But if you approach scripture saying, oh, I know this one, I know that one. These scriptures are unending. These verses have no, de- no, it's, there's no bottom to this. It's endless. You can live out of one verse for the rest of your life. You can, you can feed off of one verse for the rest of your life. Without knowing anything else. You don't know, you're not a theologian, you can't answer brilliant minds, but you have one revelation that is continually feeding you, continually speaking to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and nothing was made without Him. Then what does it say after that? The Word became flesh and lived among us. It's not only talking about Jesus. This is the nature of the Word of God that is in your hand it is meant to come alive and live in you. Just like the pathway to God, you need a pathway in scriptures. Don't just take a pattern, oh, I need to read a reading plan. If that's you, do it. I tried it. It wasn't me. And I found over the years, my way is by meditation on a few passages that's alive for me at that time. Every worship, I reread those passages for in any given season. So I want to spotlight and highlight the story of Yeshua in the next 40 minutes. Turn to um, Hebrews chapter 2. chapter 2, verse 7 and 9. You have made him, he's quoting, Paul is quoting here from Psalm chapter 8. You have made him a little lower than the angels. And verse 9 again, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. I want to invite you into my meditation of this appointed season of Passover and 
Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, celebrating the journey of Christ in order to understand this verse that he was made a little lower than the angels, I want to invite you into, for a brief moment, into considering where he came from. As we celebrate resurrection, it's important for us to understand the journey of Christ that brought him to the point of death and to the point of resurrection. He was made a little lower than the angels, meaning before whatever time frame that happened, he was far greater than the angels. What we know of God is that he existed in the triune nature, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In eternity, never created, he, his Father, and the Holy Spirit were ever existing. When did they begin? I don't know. Always pre-existed. All that Jesus knew in his eternally past life is existing in eternal glory. The glory of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit they always existed together in this communion with each other in all of glory. That's all he knew. There was no past before that where he wasn't full of glory. And in this ever-existing, pre-existing, eternal, triune, trinitarian nature of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus gets presented as the, as the story of mankind, you and I begin to unfold, Jesus gets presented to be incarnate. You know what incarnate means? Incarnation. When God became what we read, he became flesh. He came in the form of a seed in Mary. The divine becoming human, that's incarnation. He gets presented this idea to be incarnate in order to come and redeem us. And Jesus responds in obedience. All that he knew until then was the everlasting glory that he had with the Father. One in three. And he obeyed the commission to be incarnate and to come and live with us. And in his obedience, he removed the robe of glory. That's all he knew. The only thing Jesus knew about his existence was the eternal glory of God. But for us, for our sake, he removed the robe of glory. And in obedience, became incarnate into the womb of Mary. This is how I read scripture. There's a story that I tell myself about what happened. And in this transaction, first was him removing the, the robe of his eternal glory and being transformed. And in the passage between God and 
coming as a seed, it says he became lower than the angels. Let's read on in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. It wasn't the natural makeup of Jesus as a man on the earth to be crucified and suffer for us. He walked through that with the grace of God. If the grace of God is sufficient for Yeshua as a man to handle the weight of the sin of the world and be crucified, the grace of God is sufficient for us. That thought alone can last me a few years. Here's what David writes. This is one of his key psalms in Psalm 18. At the end, he says, this is the key. You want to learn learn the key of David's life? Nobody? Who wants to learn the key of David's life? I have the key of David's life. I know, right? May the words of my mouth and what? Be acceptable to you. Glory to God. He was one who was singing psalms and they were being written, eternal psalms. He was writing eternal songs, but that's only one half of him. The other half of him was the meditation of God. That started at a young age when he was taking care of the sheep. The meditations of God got so big in his life that it didn't matter if it was a lion that was coming to take a sheep or Goliath that was coming to challenge. Because in his meditation, God was much bigger than Goliath. Already. Meditations allow you to have no limits for your God. Our thoughts are so divine that they can be endless, limitless. You can imagine stuff, make up stuff. You can create new mental images in your mind that you've never seen before. These are things I think about. Our thoughts, our mind is, is, a, is divine. It is endless in its potential. And this is the place of meditation where we have the opportunity to get, make God endless in our continual rehearsing of who he is. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind 
be in you which is also in Christ. You need to mark this passage. I don't know if you mark your Bible or you make notes with scripture references. You must mark this passage. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Are you guys all there? Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which, is, which was also in Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? What well, we talked about here. Look up here. Remember the eternal Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? They're living in all of eternity. The scripture in the beginning, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God himself, did not consider it robbery to be equal with him. It's a poetic way of saying he was equal with God. He wouldn't be called a thief if he said, I'm equal with God. Right? Did not consider it robbery to be equal. Meaning he was equal in full equality with God in the triune Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, of a servant, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a, form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. I'm inviting you into some of my thoughts concerning the journey of Christ that brought him to this appointed season. Are you with me? From eternal glory, that's all he knew. He removed his robe of glory, his existence of, as an eternal being, took on the form of man was made. In the process, one made little lower than the angels. Left his glory, made lower than the angels. Now, he comes in the form of man, and within the infinite wisdom of God, the form of men that he chose to come in had no reputation. Israel was expecting a reigning warrior king, and he will come in that likeness in his second coming. But when he first came, in his wisdom, he came not only as a man, he could have come as a prophet. He could have come as a king. He could have come as a leader. He could have been, he could have revealed himself as I am the apostle Christ. All of those things were a part of his nature, but that's not how he came. He came, took on the form of a bondservant with no reputation. left his robe of glory, made little lower than the angels, took on the form of man with no reputation. As you dream for your life, whether in ministry or career, how do you factor this idea of being of no reputation? How do you factor this image of Christ, this nature of Christ in your life, in our lives, as we pursue, God, I want to do great things for you, right? 
What's my destiny? What's my desire? What's my plan? What is your plan for my life? What are the great things? Isn't that how we ask? Do we ever ask, God, what is your zero plan for my life? What is the least that you want me to do for you? <laughs> what is the most meaningless thing that you're calling me to do in my life? Do we ever ask that question? It's just the opposite, right? God, I want to do great things, and those are right desires for God. You must have that desire. God, I want to do all for you. But don't, in the culture that we are in, don't be driven by the need to have a reputation. I'm speaking to your culture. Remember, I'm the culture with the disc man and the walkman. Not a problem for us. No, it is. It's part of our culture today, right? Where it's part of our culture because it's immediate, it's available. Everybody knows everybody. As soon as you do something, it's on social media, right? You put it's it's not wrong. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But as you pursue God, don't be driven by the need for importance. Don't be driven by the need for to, to appear as if you've done something with your life. Be normal, people. Be normal. Your quirky self is your normal self. I asked you that for a reason. Be yourself. Be who you are and live out your life. Being content. That you have a pathway with God. That's it. When Jesus called his disciples, when he called Peter, did you guys go to the Sea of Galilee in Israel? It's right on the shores that he called Peter. What did he say to Peter? Come be my senior apostle. Peter, I have this great ministry for you. Come be my intern. Peter, I'm going to start my three-year ministry. Come be my ministry partner. We'll start a YouTube channel together. And we're going to light up Twitter. It's going to go crazy. What did he call Peter to? A fisherman. What did he call Peter to? Come follow me. This is the call of God. This is the call of God for your life. Come follow me. You don't need to get somewhere. You don't need to have arrived somewhere. You don't need to do ministry in order to feel fulfilled. Are you following him? Do you have a pathway to reach him and hear him and obey him? Personally. And what you obey and what he speaks to you may have National impact may impact some few people around you, may have larger impact. Those things are for God to give you and work through your life. Yours and ours, our responsibility is to follow Him. Every day, if you wake up and, and find your place, what is that place? It can start in a very natural way. Maybe when you go back home and you're back working, you're busy, you're working two jobs maybe, and you're school and studying and all those things but you know what your pathway could be your morning shower thank you lord i love you cordy but i don't know
That was my shower curtain. That could be your pathway with God every morning that nobody can take away. If you don't know how to create your pathway, find literally a time and a space that you already have. It could be, what is it, three-minute showers you have in school, five minutes? Five minutes? Five, wow, it's luxury. Luxury these days. We had three minutes back in the day. But at home, it's like 20 minutes, right? 25 minutes. This is your, this can be. Maybe you're driving to work that, in your car, no one else, you, you know. You can be that crazy person who's always talking in, to themselves in the car. Thank you, Lord. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Not found himself, he made himself of no reputation. I want to challenge you in your desire for ministry or in your desire for personal pursuit of your career, do you have the courage to make yourself of no reputation? You know what no reputation for you and I is? God, I'm fulfilled in my life because I have this space with you. I am content. I am fulfilled. I want nothing more than my, my pathway to you. This is your destiny. This is your call. This is what, you are call, what we are called to. Many, many people trouble their minds asking, what is my destiny? What is my plan? I don't know what the plan of God for my life is. Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever said it in that way? I don't know what the plan of God The plan of God for you is simply to follow him. I want to break off all of the weight and expectation of humanistic responsibility for your life. All we're, done, all we're called to is to follow Him. That's it. Maybe you'll have a ministry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you will be successful in life. Maybe you won't. But I pray that you will all be successful. But maybe you won't. But one thing is sure. You have a passion for God that is yours that nobody can take away. At the end of your time, you can say, I walked with God. I walked with Him. Thank you, Lord. here. See, in the beginning, God wanted, he came to the garden, he created somebody in his perfect likeness. 
You know what was his desire with them? To just walk with them. The theme for this year is abide, right? For your school. The day that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit. I don't have time to get into it, but I'll tell you really quickly. They didn't do it out of rebellion. It wasn't rebellion that led us as mankind to sin and fall. The devil came to Eve and said, if you eat this tree, you will be like him. Right? There's another story I'll go to. Usually I spend two hours to build up to this. If you eat of this tree, what will happen? You will be like him. Who was Eve? It's not a trick question. Who was Eve? Woman. Who was she made like? She, okay. This question sounds tricky, but it's not. She came from Adam, right? But when Adam, before she came out, when she was in Adam, together, before she came out, right? Together, within Adam, contained Eve. Mm. Okay, turn to Genesis 1. You don't believe me. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. He created man in his own image. Who is this man, Adam or Eve? That's a true question. Who is this man, Adam or Eve? Both. Very good. How do you know that? So God created man, because I just told you, right? God created man in his own image. Are you there? Genesis 1.27. In the image of God, he created him. Him. Who's him? Adam. But Adam, yeah, in Adam was both. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'll leave it there. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Within Adam contained both the male, Adam, that we know the male part of Adam, and Eve. That's why he took, made, formed Eve out of Adam. It's very simple. It's not complicated, actually. So something about Adam and Eve being together displayed the full image of God. This is why Jesus is coming back to marry us as his bride. This is why we have the identity of one part of the image of God in creation and our other part is coming to make us one with him. This is why there's a cultural war against the identity of man and woman in marriage, one, which is in, across the world, and two, now there's even, even greater war against the identity of individual sexual Makeup. 
A friend of mine went to a doctor, true story, went to a doctor recently, and the nurse asked him, do you feel like a man? Or I mean, this was a normal checkup. They wanted to write male, female in the thing, but the question they asked, do you feel like a man or a woman? There's a war against the identity because we're coming closer to that time when men, men, Christ Jesus, is coming to marry his bride, the church. There's clear distinction of the male and the female in this union that's coming. This is why there's a war against the social culture because they, they, the devil wants to distract us from the union of man with his bride. created him male and female he created them right so in the togetherness of Adam and Eve in one was the full image of God and he created Eve out of it so when they came together is when they fully represented God correct so that so Eve was now by herself is she fully representing God now, don't, don't take this to personal application. If I'm a woman, if I'm not married, do I not fully represent? That's not where I'm going with it. Stay with me in the purity of what I'm teaching. Together, they were the full image. So when she was separated and she is by herself or Adam by himself, they are not fully representing the full image of God. Are they representing the image of God? Yes. Are they exp- exp- uh, expressing individually the full image of God? No. Be confident to say No. Don't take, it, don't take personal application right now. Oh, I wish I could teach this for two hours. So the devil waited till Eve was by herself. Adam was around because he responded shortly after. But the conversation was to Eve, who was not fully in the ex- image of the Godhead together with Adam. She was by herself. Are you with me on this train of thought? And the devil speaks to her. If you eat of this fruit, You will be like him. He deceived her into thinking, into believing she's not in the, she was in the image of God, but she was not in the full image of God together with Adam. Are you with me? So in that moment, it was deception. It wasn't Eve saying, I want to rebel and I just want everything, I want to eat of this tree. No. You know what the invitation to Eve was? This is all they knew. All that Adam and Eve knew was the image of God to be like him. And it was not robbery for Adam and Eve to be like God. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ, who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery equal with God and this image of Adam and Eve together they were separated in a a moment and, and the devil came and deceived Eve by saying if you eat of this tree what is the invitation you will be like God in that moment she realized that she's not in the full image of God you know what her response was I want to be like God and she took the fruit and ate it. We were, dis- we were deceived into eating the fruit out of our own desire and our own worship and our love for God and love for the image of God, love for being like God. 
we weren't tricked with wanting to, of, with rebellion. The devil didn't say, come be part of my legions. We are going to take over. No. He tricked us with what we loved to be in the image of God, to be like God. What she should have said is, I'm already like him. She was not missing what was on offer because she was made in the image of God. He made him male and female. He created them. She was already in the full image of God. And on the day that they sinned, they realized their shortcoming. Through deception, we sinned. This is important for us to understand. It's important for us, for us to understand as you study Romans, uh, second year. That our original form was the image of God. We are not, as the Bible says, let's renew our minds in the knowledge of Him, right? Renew our minds in, in Christ. We're not trying to get something new. God is trying to restore us into the purity of how he made us. How did he make us? In his image. What is our original going back, our original form? Sin or the image of God? In Romans, as you, as you study and wrestle with some of the ideas of the second Adam, which is Jesus replacing the first that's a, good, that's a good idea to understand the difference between Adam and Jesus. But it's not, the, it's not a theology, theological statement about Adam. Because Adam was in the image of God. Are you with me? Our history doesn't trace back to the sin of Adam and Eve. Our identity does not trace back to the sin of Adam and Eve. Because it traces back all the way to the fingertips of God who formed you in his very image. Don't stop as you think of your identity, your past. Don't give credit to the sin. Give credit to the beauty and the glory of the image of God in which he created you. This is what God wants. Jesus is restoring us to. So in the cool of the day, God comes to walk with them. Isn't that what it says? And what did Adam and Eve do? curtain when he came to walk with them they hid fast forward many years later Jesus comes in this story in this appointed season that we're in now on the day of resurrection turn to Luke 24 I'll just tell the story. We don't have time. But it's in there. So Jesus is buried in the tomb. The tomb is closed. And Mary, with some of, his, some of her friends, come to offer spices and stuff as they do for, for dead people. And she comes. The tomb is rolled away. And she walks in. 
and sees the tomb is empty. And then she hears a voice behind her, woman, what are you looking for? What happens? She turns around. And who's standing there? No. A man appeared, the first revelation, stay with me, you can read it on your own, homework tonight. Who's the homework queen, homework tonight? The very first revelation of the resurrection of Christ and the very first revelation of redemption of mankind, the story of redemption that began on the day that God came to walk with them and they were separated from that day, from the day that they they were deceived through their own desire for God. From that day, the plan of redemption has been at work. And on this day, Jesus appears to a woman. Where were we deceived? In a woman. Where does the first revelation of redemption come to? A woman. And she turns around, and it's not Jesus. It is Jesus. But she turns around. What does she see? A man who appeared to her as a gardener. The moment we walked away in separation from God, when he still had clay under his fingertips from creating everything, day four of creation, day three, day five of creation, and day six of creating us out of the dust, he still had dirt as the master gardener who set them in a garden. And on the day of resurrection, He restores us through Mary fully by appearing as a gardener. Come on. Come on. If we were a black church right now, it would be be praise break right now. I forgive. Not only that, the next revelation, the next scene is two men were walking on the road to Emmaus, talking amongst them. Have you heard what happened? Is this true? Did it really? They were talking about all these things. They're not sure. There are rumors going around town. And what happens? The very next, first revelation, he appeared as a gardener to a woman. Think about this. The first revelation of the redemption of mankind since the day of creation and fall is him appearing as a a gardener to a woman. Second revelation, two guys, two disciples are walking. Two of them. What did God come to do when they, on the day that they fell? He came in the cool of the day, sort of like a beautiful day like this. And he came to walk with them. And on the second revelation, on the day of resurrection, Two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, a third person comes and walks alongside of them. He restored us fully to that moment of separation in the garden. Fully. 
revealed, he met Eve with her love for God because she was the first one who came. And he began to walk with these two. Now it's not Jesus. It's the resurrected Christ in all of his glory still on the earth. In all of his glory, now, not the man Jesus, not the son of David, now the son of God in resurrected power. This is the same guy who can walk through the walls and doors, which he will shortly. In resurrected, glorious form that even they didn't recognize him. And he began to walk with them. The angels in heaven went crazy. They're like, look. He, God, is walking with man again. Look, guys, look what's happening. It's happening. Woo! It's happening again. It's happening. Finally, God is walking with man again. What he did not have, the privilege with Adam and Eve, when they hid from sin, now he restores that moment and begins to walk with man one more time. Come on. And he walks and he walks and walks. They still don't know who he is. But something inside of them is burning. When you walk with him, your pathway with God, there's going to be a burning in your heart. Even things you don't understand. But I know there's a burning that God is, there's passion that is stirring on the inside of me. Regardless of your personality, when you walk with God, you will have the stirrings of the things of God inside of you that nobody can take away. Even things that don't make sense, you're like, that's why we have tongues, because he knows that we're not going to get all of it. That's what I do in the shower. I don't have a thought. I just speak in tongues every morning. He walks with them. They don't know who he is, but he's revealing eternity to them right now. Eternity in that moment Ecclesiastes says eternity is given in their hearts. In some translations, hidden in your hearts. That day, eternity for the first time was not hidden anymore. It was revealed to them. From that day till now, we have eternity revealed and not hidden in our hearts. He walks with them. They're talking. Their hearts are being stirred. They don't know who he is. They're trying to figure it out, but they're enjoying they're not distracted by not knowing who he is, but they're enjoying the inward revelation of Christ. Some things don't have to make sense to you. L allow your mind to be at rest when your spirit is stirred within. Understanding will follow if you, like a child, are willing to trust the stirrings of God deep within. They're walking with him, stir being stirred on the inside. They still don't know who he is. And he, Jesus walks till they reach their house. He's walking and talking and stirring their hearts. And he knows this is their house. But they come to the door of their house. And it's the funniest story ever. You know what it says if you read it? And Jesus pretended to keep walking. This is the first day of resurrection. And he's playing games with these two guys. He pretended to keep walking. Until... He knew they would, he knew he had stirred their hearts just enough, short of revealing who he is, just enough. He stirred their hearts just enough that he knew they will not let him go. Thank you, Lord. 
He spoke into their very being just enough that he knew they will not let him go. But he pretended to keep walking. Until they said, hey, excuse me, mister. You know what our first response of resurrection to Yeshua is? Come. Come abide with us. The first response of mankind to the resurrected Christ. In, in the garden, when he came to walk with them, they hid from him. And on this glorious day of resurrection, with the stirrings of God within, not even fully understanding it all. That's most of us. All of us, actually. But they had enough to say, hey, we don't know who you are. We don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing with my life, but I want you to come and abide with us. Come and abide with me. Don't leave. Don't leave. And we were restored on that day fully. In the image of God. We were restored that day fully into the intent of the garden. With the gardener. With him. And we invited him first to come abide with us. We were restored fully. If you abide in me. And my words in you. He stirred them just enough. That they would have the desire for him to abide with them. Thank you Lord. Just put your hands out. Thank you, God. God, I want the... I want to be moved by the stirring on the inside, even things that I don't understand. Lead me, God. Lead me. Give me the trust and the confidence. And we invite you. Just invite him in this moment. This season of Pesach and Passover and and Resurrection Sunday, which was just yesterday. Invite him. This is the appointed time. Invite him in your own words. Come abide with me. In your own language, whatever language that you speak. Come abide with me. Because in this season, there is that stirring in all of your hearts. In his own special way, there have been moments when he has stirred your hearts to desire more of him. And as this is your theme, ask him. Don't just let it be a theme that looks cool on your cover or something. Ask him, abide with me. Yeshua, come, abide with me. Live in me. Be part of who I am. Thank you, Lord. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, which all of you, all of us are. All of us are in, are made in the form of God, but it is important for you to not think it robbery to be equal with God. There's a big difference. You are in the form of God. No one can take that away, even if you don't believe it. You are in the form of God. But let this mind be in you that doesn't rob you of your equality with Christ. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The spirit of revelation 